0: Welcome to The Backlog, a podcast hosted by Adaptivate. I'm Katie Cords, Head of Branded Content. Adaptivate partners with clients to accelerate outcomes by implementing new, transformative ways of working. We are a global firm with offices in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. This episode of The Backlog, we are featuring a guest podcast from Sarah Nay. Sarah hosts the Agency Spark Podcast and is the COO at Ductate Marketing and founder at Spark Lab Consulting. In this episode, Sarah sits down with Adaptivate's own Chris McLeod. So, on with the show.
1: Welcome to the Agency Spark Podcast. This is your host, Sarah Nay, And today on the show, I have Chris McLeod, Senior Consultant and Coach at Adaptivate a global management consulting firm in Sydney, Australia. So welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, great to see you, Sarah. You as well. I want to dive into your story first before Adaptivate, because I believe you were formerly a travel guide in the restaurant business, living in Jackson, Wyoming. So tell me about what led you to your position today and Sydney, Australia.
0: Well, I will, I will give you the full story because it would bore everyone to death. But let's just say that I love to travel like yourself, and I have spent a lot of time Doing that is uh, part of my work and living in a place like Jackson, Wyoming, where I've lived the longest in my life. Being in the tourist business and being in the restaurant business are pretty much the main sort of things one might do for work. But I've always wanted to explore a bit more. And I've always really liked the idea of coaching and consulting as a career. And so that is what eventually led me to Australia, where I am now able to do with a little bit more frequency, really uh, cool stuff with a coaching and management consulting. Well,
1: you've picked a few beautiful places to live. That's for sure. I'm jealous of <laughs> <laughs> both. But yes. Let's get into your position at Adaptivate a bit. So what's your core focus there?
0: So Adaptivate is, to make a long story short, a a management consulting firm that really focuses on agile business model transformations and innovation. So that's a lot of fancy terminology, just to say that what we do is we help companies figure out new ways of creating, communicating, and delivering value in a way that's really uh, innovative and iterative, done more or less constantly, because these days... The world is is full of change, and, and everybody's got to keep pace with it as we go along. My my That's... role basically, it, it, sorry, my role basically is currently as an agile coach. Uh, I do specialize a little bit in innovation and uh, agile business model design, but at the moment, uh, I'm spending a lot of time actually coaching in a really large organization, helping them to figure out how best to scale agile methodology methodologies, which is a um, uh, a tricky thing when you're trying to figure out new ways to do things that were serving you reasonably well before.
1: Absolutely. And I talked to a lot of people on this show that are consultants, coaches, implementers. What is your definition of coach when you're going into an organization?
0: No, that's a good question. A, a coach, and, and this is very close to my heart because of uh, my years spent as a guide. It, a, a coach is essentially, in, at its core, uh, a guide, somebody who is able to mold Uh, their understanding of the subject matter or the circumstances or the environment to suit, to tailor the experience for the person or people or organization that they're guiding through the process. So for organizations or people, it doesn't matter whether you're on a raft trip for your first time, or if you're a big organization embracing some sort of big transformation, it's all uncharted territory and not something you do Every day. So, what is really required is uh, someone to help you through that process, make you feel better about what you're seeing, and help you move safely from one place to the next uh, on your journey. And it's very much uh, what a guide and a coach does, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things that, when I speak to people interested in getting started with coaching for the first time, is how do I keep people motivated? Do you have any advice around that? It's
0: the ability to move in between modes of influence, right? The ability to understand what's going on with uh, those whom you're coaching. And sometimes that requires more of a mentorship approach. Sometimes that requires more of a motivational approach. Sometimes people just want to have somebody there with them as they go through and and be someone to encourage them through trial and error. So really what coaching is the ability to move between different modes of communication based on the needs of your client or the people that you're with and be all things, be capable of being all things, but don't try to be everything all at one time. I think that's probably the key that I think is the, the thing I try to do.
1: I love that insight. One of the things that I believe you've done over the years as well as, and correct me if I'm wrong, used to work in smaller businesses and now started to work with larger organizations. And so how has that shift been?
0: Yeah, so it's actually been really uh, very helpful. So I spent prior to going to get an MBA later in life, almost all my focus was in small businesses, whether I was working for or running or a consulting. So for about eight years or so, I was a marketing consultant focused on small businesses. And the needs and wants of the individuals really translate quite well into larger organizations. It's still people that you're dealing with. It's still people who struggle with change. And yes, there's a maybe a little bit of a difference in terms of scale, but all the lessons that I think are really valuable at the, the publicly traded level are still just as valid if not more at the uh, small business level and in fact one of the great things about being a small business is that it's your size it's that's the advantage you can learn ways to be agile you can wor- learn ways to uh, create value much more quickly and satisfy your customers and understand your customers at a deeper level if you're small and so a lot of the lessons i learned from that and continue to learn i try to apply at the bigger uh, company level as well
1: that's great. And one of the things that you mentioned to me is that you feel like there's a lot of opportunity for small businesses in the innovation space. So do you mind expanding on that a bit more?
0: Yeah. So, so it's also, a, it's a really good question. So the thing about innovation is these days, in, it's basically absolutely necessary to innovate. You, you just can't sit on your laurels and expect things to continue as they are. The expression is, I think you, you can't, it, what got you here won't get you there or something along those lines. And so the environment is creating the need for innovation. But one of the interesting things about it is that the, I, I, this is not my own quote. I, I think it might have been a Clayton Christensen quote, but I can't remember who to attribute it to. The ability to innovate is negatively correlated to the need to, which means that if you really need to keep up with your market or somebody else has entered your market and is causing some trouble your ability to deal with that is, is not very good in, in the time that you need to actually innovate. So that's one thing. So you really always need to be constantly innovating. The second part is that innovation is just a process. It's not a destination. It's not you know smoke and mirrors. You, you don't have to be Steve Jobs to create real value. It's really just small little incremental advances, a deeper understanding of your customer's ability to the, the ability to deliver And as I said, communicate uh, value is also critical. So you can do lots of little things. It's predictable, it's manageable, and it's not something that is just left up to just creative types. It's actually something regular people can can do. And I I would attribute that to, how should I say? It's it's a little bit like going to the gym. If you go and you work out, even if you haven't done it for a while or at all, you develop that muscle. You develop a little bit of uh, building. And the more you use it, the better you are at using it. And then the last thing I just would say is that if you're able to incrementally deliver value in new and cool ways, it doesn't have to be reinventing the wheel. You'll always have a repeatable model that you'll be able to grow with. You'll attract better people. You'll have people want to stay with you longer. And that growth will keep and sustain you in a world where uh, business models are aging very rapidly.
1: And so if someone came to you and said, that sounds great, that sounds really exciting, I know I need to be innovating, how do I get started? How do you, Is there a strategic process when you're starting to work with a client on the front end to help them move along this path and journey?
0: Yeah. One of the things that we use as a tool are called design sprints. And that sounds like a scary word to somebody, like what's a design sprint? It's just simply a week-long event where we demonstrate to our client that it's possible with their help to identify a Prototype very cheaply and very quickly. A prototype meaning a new service or a new way of delivering service or a new way to communicate. And you can do that with the feedback of actual customers if you put yourself in a place where you can really understand them a bit better. So asking, if you ask your customer, for example, what they want, quite often they can't articulate what they want. They actually you need to understand what they're doing and in, in, in their environment in, in order to better understand. An example of that I've read about is. Tide used to be one of these great packaging things where they you know, would have the big powder box of Tide and, and it would have a little handle on top and you could actually open it up. And people love the packaging and the look of it. And, and a, one of their leaders had a look at this with an actual customer and noticed that the customer was using a pair of scissors to cut open the box instead of their hands, which was meant to be used with their hands. And why are you doing that? I don't want to break my nails. This woman had spent a lot of time working on uh, keeping her nails nice, and she didn't want to break them opening the box. So there's a little bit of insight. Okay, yes, it's great packaging. And we hear it's great packaging. And no one says, I break my nails when I open this, but they figured out that maybe that's something they need to address. And it's something small and incremental like that for such a huge company. Imagine what you can do with, a, with a, you know, the, the focus of a small company in terms of how you deliver little bits of value.
1: I love how you're, because when I hear the word innovation, it's it could be a bit in a, uh, intimidating where you feel like you need to come up with this grand, huge idea. But I love the concept of thinking smaller, but in a lot of different ways to really reach your audience and, and meet their needs and demands.
0: That's what we teach at, at Adaptivate. It's taking an incremental approach because the old, the methodology has been around for a while, but the idea that you can just sit down one day, put yourself in a room with all the smartest people you can think of and take a bunch of client data or user data and say, okay, we're gonna build this thing and we're gonna start now and finish on such and such a date. These days, by the time you get to that finish point, the user needs have changed or you've got a new insight. So that incremental bit is really important. And also, yeah, it's, it's, we often tend to think of people like Steve Jobs, we think of Google, we think of all these sort of really disruptive ideas, but truly the, the way of the future and the way of now is to just do it a little bit at a time. And that's completely predictable and manageable if you do it right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love examples. so I love that tight example that you shared. Do you have anything else that comes to mind in the small business space, perhaps, in terms of small incremental changes like that?
0: Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a good example. I worked with a client who's in a a retail space, online retail. And the idea of the project started from building a website and we thought, okay, this is going to be a place, a market to sell these items. And these items were made by artists. And we thought, uh, so it's a, a jewelry thing. So we're talking about how to do this website. And it occurs to us while we're trying to understand what the value proposition is, is that the journey of the artist that made the jewelry is actually pretty important because this is, this is all handmade custom sort of stuff. And so we started interviewing on a deep level and trying to get to know the artist. And what we realized is that the artist's story behind the jewelry is actually the most interesting part of the jewelry. It's not simply a piece of jewelry you put on, but it's that opportunity that say, you're out walking around or sitting on a bench and you've got an interesting ring or a pair of earrings on. And someone says, hey, those are cool. Where did you get those? And now you have a story about its origin, about the creation of it, and about the artist. And so now we've created a double-sided business model where instead of just selling the jewelry, we're actually selling the idea to artists to come on board and go through an onboarding process, create a video, and showcase themselves in an interesting way. So now... She has revenue that will be coming in from both sides, as opposed to simply just selling stuff on a commission basis. And those are the kind of little things that you can uncover just by having conversations.
1: I love doing these interviews, honestly, because every single time I speak to a guest, I start thinking differently and bigger, and you're definitely helping me do that today. So I really appreciate the insight you're sharing.
0: Oh, cool. I'm a nerd, and I love talking about this stuff. There are lots of other things you can do, but essentially, always having an open mind about how you approach something and realize that customers are obviously number one, but even so, they often don't know how to describe what it is they need. So you really have to put yourself in their shoes as as much as is humanly possible to create uh, value that they understand and appreciate.
1: Absolutely. But always starting with the customer in mind, like that's step one in terms of how you can be more innovative is, is what are their needs? What are they looking for and rolling from there?
0: Yeah. And and that's, that is the work that we do at adaptive, like no matter what we're doing, whether agile business design or agility consulting or op model delivery, all of the things start with the customer at the center and all the processes we teach and all the coaching we do really focus on customer. And that also, by the way, means internal customers and and external customers, just because you want to uh, focus entirely on the value you bring to your actual buyer, the people that are involved in delivering that value our customers as well. And you need to make sure that they have the career development, they have the possibilities and the flexibility to be creative about it. And that's a really hard thing for a big business, but it's a lot easier for a small business. And the if you're a small business coach or a small, a small business consultant, you really have a great opportunity to have a huge impact on, on the business, not just by focusing on the external customer, but by making sure that the owner and the ownership always focus on how to raise the, the game of their people and, and keep people and attract new ones that are worthy of having in the family. And you probably have experienced this too in your own consulting, just the new idea of the week syndrome where there's a shiny yeah, object. All the time. We're all susceptible <laughs> to that, especially when you're trying to bring a little revenue and in, in a slow period. But it, if you take your eye off the ball in this environment with those shiny objects, not only will you fail to deliver the customer value that you need to, you'll also make it hard on your team to keep up with you. And they'll start looking at you like they're watching a tennis match, the ball going from one side to the other, and they'll just try to guess where you're going to land in between. And that's a really, at best, an inefficient way to do it. And at worst, it's something that will probably create a little bit of turnover.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In the entrepreneur small business space, I run into that all of the time the shiny object syndrome where they get an idea and run off to the next thing versus sticking to the plan that they spent time mapping out. So I couldn't agree more on that point.
0: Yeah, it's it happens all the time. We have all been and actually drives a lot of us to coaching and to consulting in the, in the first place. You'd be like in a sales meeting and then somebody will start talking about what they did over the weekend. And then it'll be the numbers were down last week. What are we going to do this week? And it's very tactical. There's no strategy involved. And it ends up being a waste of everybody's time. So, I think that's probably why we end up with a lot of people in this environment. So, th- that actually reminds me, by the way, I-, I was talking about this with a friend the other day that there are going to be in this space lots and lots of people who are refugees from this corporate environment, who are going to be coming into our market as coaches and as consultants, and they're going to want to do their own thing. There are a lot of statistics, and I won't go through them all, but it, it, probably by the time we get to about 2035, more than 50% of us in the US, as an example, would be in contract or freelancer positions or in part-time positions. And those trends are, that's if things don't accelerate. And I, that's what the numbers that I've seen are all pre-COVID. So I think this is actually accelerating. So I mean, lots of people in our space. So there's even more pressure, even as a coach and a consultant, to be creative about how you deliver value. And if it's okay to emulate uh, a system that makes sense to you but you should always be looking at the next thing to make yourself and the value you deliver better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that point. I think it is the space that we are in is getting more and more crowded. I can feel it. I've been doing this for 10 years and it seems like it's growing every day. And so what are, just before I let you jump off, is there anything you're doing specifically to be creative, to deliver even more value to your audience? Yeah, that's a good point. Like Things like what we're doing now,
0: like podcasting is obviously a a great thing though. Of course, lots of people are doing that as well. So it's not about the frequency. It's not about the structure necessarily. It's about the value of the content. Is it valuable? Does Do people want to hear what you have to say? And I'll give you one example of a person who's who I won't name just in case you wouldn't want me to, to name her, but a person who's delivering a really interesting thing. So she used to be a regular consultant retainer model kind of scenario where, you know, for X number of dollars a month, I will look after your marketing your branding or whatever it happened to be. And instead of trying to get these big clients all the time and have them be really draining and have to really always repeat the demonstration of value from the first proposal to the end of the relationship, she decided that was a, didn't work for her, didn't feel good. So she decided to instead create a model where she could deliver an idea about podcasts. She figured there are lots of people who want to have podcasts, so she created a $200 course on how to create and deliver a podcast with all the tools and technology. And the sales pitch was, yes, you can figure all of this out on your own. I did, it's all on Google. But if you want a shortcut and you just want to go make the quickest uh, uh, path to a podcast, then here's $197 uh, course that will take you there. And it was actually just a, a Trello board full of tips and tricks and all the technology and stuff. And so you go through the Trello board as a wannabe podcaster and look at them and say, well, I could second guess this woman's stuff, but why would I do that? I just paid $200 to, to do this. And the, the thing about the value proposition is that when someone says, "I'll gives you a sales pitch and says, I'll teach you how to make a podcast, you're thinking, okay, I'm waiting for the $3,000 retainer model to take me through this. And when she said it was $197, as a, I was a Target Market, I said, that's ridiculous. That's the most valuable thing that i like, I'd be stupid not to buy that. So when you're doing that kind of consulting, if you're trying to create a value proposition, what you should be shooting for, in my opinion, with the goal is value so obvious, so clear, and so well described that the intended audience, the ideal customer says, why wouldn't I buy that? I'd be stupid not to buy that. That strikes me as a really uh, interesting way to go about consulting as an example.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great example. Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much. If people would like to find you online and connect with you, where's the best place for that?
0: Best place is for Adaptivate.com. Although we are in uh, Sydney, Australia as a base, we're a global firm and we have places all around the world, but that's the easiest place uh, to look and you'll probably find me somewhere in there. (laughs)
1: Great. Thank you all for listening to the Agency Spark Podcast. Thank you, Chris. We'll see you next time.